We've only got two chapters of Revelation. We're going to talk about Revelation today and next week, and then we will be done. And we've spent like six months in the book of Revelation, maybe more. And so if you have a Bible or device, you can open up to Revelation chapter 20. We are only going to make it through like eight verses today. I was going to try to do all of chapter 20, and then I was like, no, there's too much. There's too much. I can't do it. So we're going to talk about eight verses in Revelation 20. Last week, we talked about the millennial kingdom of God. I'm not even going to try to unpack that right now. If you want to go and watch the sermon and watch me try to unpack it, go for it. But it's a whole thing. There's so much to it. But now we're going to talk about beyond the millennial kingdom. Today, we're going to talk about what we would normally call heaven. In a general sense, we use the word heaven, but there is so much more to it than just that. We say heaven or eternity That word, heaven, is used in the Bible over 500 times. It's used in the book of Revelation alone over 50 times. And it's all over the scriptures, but it's used in different ways. Maybe you've read it and gotten confused because you see the word heaven and it'll be used uh, in terms of like the sky, like the birds fly around in the heavens. Well, that is one use of the word heaven. The use of that word is, is our atmosphere. That's the first heaven, and then there's the cosmos, right? It talks about God created the heavens, you know, and, the, and the, all of creation cries out in the heavens. That's talking about planets and stars and all these things. That's the second heaven. And then maybe you've read in Corinthians where Paul says, I was caught up to the third heaven. And you say, what the heck is the third heaven? Are we like Mormons? Like what is happening? Okay. That was just a joke. Nobody hate me. Okay. <laughs> But maybe you've read that and said, what does that mean? Well, when it talks about the third heaven, it's talking about the abode of God. That's when we talk about heaven, we're talking about eternity with God. And that's the third heaven because there's our atmosphere, there's space, and then there's the third heaven. There's really only one word in the Bible that I don't know how to say in Greek, so I'm not going to try, but it's used for all those things, but it's talking about a few things. So today we're talking about the third heaven. We're talking about the abode of God. Of God. It is a place. It's one thing I want to say. It's not a state of mind. It's not an idea. It is a place. Now, is it a place within our creation at the end of the universe? I don't know. Some people would say out beyond the space time continuum, it's there. I don't know. Maybe it's its own dimension. I think about weird stuff when I watch the movie Multiverse of Madness. It's like, oh, yeah, there's multiverse like I don't know like maybe heaven's in the multiverse but it's there it's a place it is a destination that those who follow Christ will end up in someday it's commonly spoke about in the Bible but in reality if you listen to people talk even Christians even people who read their Bibles they talk about heaven and they use language that is not biblical at all and I'm guilty of this. I don't know if you've ever heard about people, heard people talking about heaven, and you're just like, I, that doesn't sound great. When people say, like, we're all going to be floating on clouds, we're going to be playing harps and wear white togas, that does not sound awesome to me. Maybe you're like, I just love harps. Like, I don't know, but that does not sound awesome to me. And that is not what the Bible describes when it talks about eternity with God. 
Like, I do look forward to worshiping God, right? That's the idea, like, oh, we're all worshiping God. And we're going to do that for eternity. But there is so much more than that. It's not just us for a billion years saying, holy, holy, holy. For a billion and billion, that's not everything. And thank God that it's not. When people talk about heaven like that, people are like, "Eh, no thanks. I think that's what Mark Twain had in mind when he famously said, you can keep heaven, I'll take Bermuda. And people talk about things like that because they don't have an idea of what heaven truly is going to be because they don't understand what the Bible talks about when it talks about this state of eternity. And so we're going to jump into this. If you have a Bible, if you have a device, Revelation 21. I think I said 20 earlier, sorry. 21 verses 1 through 4. This is John writing, John the Revelator. We've been with him through this whole book. And now he writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. We're going to stop there for a second. Then I saw, right? We've seen this in Revelation again and again. John's letting us know a new vision is starting. Then I saw, and he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. He did not say, I saw some fluffy clouds. People were floating. He says, there's a whole new heaven and there's a whole new earth. Everything is made new. Everything is recreated. And this word new, I actually do know how to say in Greek, kainos. The word new in Greek is kainos. And in this word, it's not saying new like you try to sell a crappy old used car and you say, good as new. It's saying brand new. Never seen before. Unprecedented. Like nothing you've ever imagined. It is saying this is a brand new heaven and earth. He says, for the first earth and heaven passed away. Where we're at now, gone. It's passed away. This earth, at some point in all of this, is uncreated. Which is like the only way we can really even explain it. Because God creates everything from nothing, and then he just says, light switch off. Second Peter says that the elements of creation will be dissolved. If you've ever studied particle science, because who doesn't? You might know, scientists don't actually know why anything holds together. Do you know that? Like, they don't actually know. They can figure out all kinds of stuff, but when you say, why do particles and atoms, like, why do they stay together? They're like, we don't know. Because God holds them together. And at some point, he'll say, and it'll dissolve. Isaiah 66 
God says that he will make a new heavens and earth thousands of years before. He says this is going to happen. This world, guys, was designed to be temporary. If you look at the whole universe, I know we look at it and we're like, well, yeah, millions and billions of years. Okay, but it's still temporary. There is a shelf life. And so God is going to make something new that is not temporary. It is the eternal kingdom of God. And we get to be a part of that if we are following the Lord. One just kind of side note that jumped out at me. Did you notice it said there's no sea? That's weird. Our whole world is built around oceans. We have the sea. It's like we can't exist without the oceans. And so this new world that God's going to create has a completely different system. It doesn't function the same. It's better. If you're a surfer, you're like, bummer, dude. I think it's going to be okay. God will be like, hey, you want to surf on wind? Like, whatever. It's going to be okay. I kind of wondered, this is a joke, but I kind of wondered if John, who's writing this whole letter, remember all the way back to the beginning of John, we talked about, he's sitting on an island called Patmos. Patmos has no fresh water. You have to ship water in. Part of me just wonders if John's just like really tired of the ocean. He's like, no sea. There's no sea, just lush green grass, right? But he says there's going to be no sea. And then in verse 2, he starts to talk about the new city. Don't miss this. New Jerusalem, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. This is, this new creation has a capital city. This place that, God is preparing, and it comes down. Notice this, it's not built on the earth. It is built in heaven and then comes down because if you know your Bible, you know that Jesus said a long time ago, I am preparing a place for you. And so now he has prepared this place, this new capital city, and we're going to get way more into talking about the details of New Jerusalem next week because it is mind-blowing to even try to wrap your mind around what this city is going to be. Spoiler alert, it's a cube. That's weird. People don't seem to exist in two dimensions. They exist in three, and you can like just fly. I, I don't know. It's going to be crazy. We're going to talk more about that. But for now, we see that John says that New Jerusalem, this place, was a place that is prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. We say, well, I thought the church is the bride. It is. The people of God are his bride. And they will live in this new city. And the city will be known for the people who inhabit it. It is the bride because it is made up of the bride. And it is prepared for the groom. And this is a direct intentional comparison. If you remember weeks ago, we talked about the whore of Babylon. Right? And that she is adorned in purple and scarlet and gold and all these things. And using the same language a few chapters later, it talks about New Jerusalem. In comparison to Babylon, New Jerusalem is a bride adorned for her husband. It's a comparison to the brokenness of the world and what the world tried to set up as this new system. And God says, no, no. That's a pale, gross comparison to what the truth is. And the truth is that the new Jerusalem will be a bride prepared for her.
her groom. And as we look into this, all these things that God have brought forth, I want us to look really closely at verse 3. If you're an underliner, if you're a highlighter, if you're a tweet it person, whatever, verse 3 is so important. It's possibly some of the most important words in Revelation. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. We, in eternity, will dwell with God. The word dwell doesn't just mean like that's where you live. It means it is where you, you exist. Your entire life is that. It is, it is everything that makes life worth it. You dwell, you tabernacle with God. This is what makes heaven, heaven, guys. It doesn't matter if there are clouds or mountains or beautiful oceans or none of those things matter if God's not there. Because what makes us a broken world now is that there is a separation between us and God. And in this new creation, there will be no separation and we will dwell with the God of the universe. This is what makes it glorious. This is what we look forward to. Everything else that we read in the next couple chapters, and we're going to read, and our minds are going to be blown by what God is doing, none of it compares to this verse. That we will dwell with God. That we will exist eternally in the presence of the Almighty Creator of the universe. And what will it be like to be with God in eternity? This is interesting. Verse 4 tries to give us a little bit of a glimpse. But I want you to notice, the only way that we can even get a slight glimpse of eternity is to talk in the negative. To say what it's not going to be like. Because we are so incapable of like comprehending what it is going to be like at this point, that, that all God can really say is, let me tell you what it's not like. He says there's not going to be tears. There's not going to be death or mourning or crying or pain. All of these things that we struggle with in life, God says none of that will be there. And, and that's just this tiny glimpse. He's like, I really think he's saying, like, I can't even explain to you the glory. All I can tell you is what's not going to be there. All those things you hate about life right now, not there. All those things that hurt and destroy and cause pain and suffering and tears, and all, none of that's there. But there's so much. It reminds me of the story you might remember in Exodus 33. When Moses says, God, I want to see you. Show me your glory. And God kind of just tells Moses, you have no idea what you're asking. You can't handle it. There's no way. You would just cease to exist. So God says, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to put you up against a giant rock. And you face the rock. You face the cleft in the rock. And then I'm going to cover you with my hand. And I'm going to walk past you. And after I walk past you, you can just kind of catch a glimpse of my back. That's all Moses can handle. 
without just ceasing to exist. And I feel like this is kind of the same thing. God's giving us this tiny little glimpse and just saying, let me tell you what it's not. Let me show you the backside. Because Moses couldn't handle what it was truly going to be and survive. We will be living eternally in the presence of God. It is so far beyond our comprehension. I think about the, the, the closest that you've ever felt to God. I don't know what it is for you. I can think back to like a moment in my life that was the closest I ever felt to God. Maybe it was worshiping the Lord in a worship service. Maybe it was sitting out in the woods and just seeing the beauty of his creation and worshiping it. Whatever it was for you, that is going to pale in comparison to being in the presence of God. I don't know about you, that is overwhelming to me. Because the closest I've ever felt to God, I, I, it, I fell down. I couldn't stand before the Lord. And this is nothing compared to being in His presence. How amazing that's going to be. C.S. Lewis said, I think, I can't find the book, but it's attributed to him. Our ability to imagine what eternity will be like is like two infants in a womb talking about what they will be doing once they are born and are 25 years old. C.S. Lewis, maybe. But isn't that an amazing thought? Two little twins just sitting there like, you know, what are you going to do when you're 25? Or maybe the old joke, if you've ever heard it, like two infants in a womb saying, do you believe in life after birth? That's their whole world, right? They exist, and, and then suddenly they're delivered into this whole world that is far more real than anything they've ever experienced before. As we go back to Revelation 21, in the next few verses, the Lord is going to speak directly to John. Again, we're going to continue this idea. Verse 5. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexual sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. God himself said, this is not just John saying, God himself is quoted saying, I am going to make all things kinos, new, brand new, unprecedented, more than you can imagine, greater than you can fathom. I'm going to make all things new. And he's doing this for us. For his children. He's doing things that are going to blow our minds because he loves us. And I love this line. He reminds John, like, maybe John is so overwhelmed right now that he starts, like, kind of, like, fumbling. And God's like, write this down. Don't miss this, because it's really important. And then God says, it is done. Not only is he saying, I'm going to do this, he says, 
I've already done it. It is so sure that it is done. God has already done the work of making all things new. New Jerusalem is waiting to come. And this reminds me of Jesus on the cross saying, it is finished. Right? As soon as he's on the cross, he says, the work of salvation is complete. It's done. And God is now in Revelation saying, it's done. It's there. It's ready. I've already created a place for you. And God reminds John and us of what he said all the way back in Revelation chapter 1. I love the way that this comes back. He's in almost the very end of the book and he hearkens back to Revelation 1. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, who is and was and is to come. He's saying, in the very beginning in Genesis, when I created all of this, I was there. In the very end, when I'm going to uncreate and then create again, I am still here. And he's making sure that we all know who he is. And God says, to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. And maybe you're like me, you hear that story and it makes you think about the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus goes and he sits down next to this woman at the well. She's a Samaritan woman. She is somebody that a Jewish man should never even speak to according to their world. He says, you give me a drink? And she says, why are you even talking to me? Like she's shocked. And then he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He's talking to this woman about salvation. About eternal life. And so we read Revelation and God says, to the thirsty I will give the spring of of the water of life. What are they thirsty for? They are thirsty for salvation. For the presence of God. For eternity changing truth. And then God says, I'll give it without payment. No cost. The gift of salvation is free. To us. It was not free to Jesus, but he gives it to us freely and willingly. And the payment was his life, but he says, I will give it to you freely. And then verse 7, John comes back to something he's written throughout Revelation. Maybe you remember this. Early in Revelation, there was all this, uh, to the conquerors, to the overcomers, to the conquerors, to the overcomers. He comes back to this language again, and he says, to the one that conquers. And throughout the whole book, he's talked about this, to those who conquer, meaning those who stay true to the gospel throughout their lives or throughout the tribulation, those who don't give up on the truth, he says, will eat from the tree of life. Their name will be written in the book of life. They will not be hurt by the second death. He's saying the gift of eternal life is for those who overcome. And he says they will be given authority over nations. They will sit with Christ on his throne. 
He's talking about ruling alongside Christ in the millennium. And then he talks about those who overcome are given hidden manna. He's just talking about provision. God is going to provide for us. But then in verse 8, he gives this list of some people that will not be a part of this new creation. A list of people that are still stuck in their sin because they have not sought forgiveness and salvation from the Lord. And he talks about people, he says, for the cowardly, that's those who did not stay faithful to the gospel. The faithless, the detestable, for the murderers, the sexual immoral, the sorcerers. That's an interesting one because the word for sorcery, we, we think of like Harry Potter. Okay, not that. The word is pharmakia, which is where we get the word pharmacy. The idea of sorcery in the Old Testament, people that are using drugs for spiritual enlightenment. I don't know if you keep up. This is more and more happening today. People that go and take shrooms or acid and they say, oh, I saw God. Right? This is happening more and more in our world. It's still happening. Nothing is new, guys. It all comes back. Idolaters and liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. All of these who have rejected God rejected his grace and mercy. They reject his free gift of salvation. Their destination will be the same as Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet. Which is hard words to hear. But God again and again has said, I want to give you this. All he asks for us is to receive his blessings. And to receive this whole new creation that he is making. And as I bring this to a close, the, I, I keep trying to wrap my brain around this. The eternal, holy, righteous king of the universe tells us that he has created a whole new heaven and an earth that are for us to be with him. Did you hear me? God says, I'm going to make all this for you. Jesus said it in John 14. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And when I come again, I will take you myself, that you will be where I am also. Have you ever felt like you don't have a place in this world? Or just something's wrong in this world and it's just not, it's not right. That's because you were not created for this world. From the beginning, it was a temporary place. It's a temporary place that you will probably spend less than a hundred years. And then you will go, hopefully, be with the Lord for eternity. This place should not feel like home because it's not. It's not what you were created for. It is not the place of eternal comfort that you will feel in the presence of God. But there is a place that will come that God has prepared for us in His presence. And I'm still trying to just 
scratch the surface of wrapping my brain around that guy. If you don't know and follow God today, you need to. You need to because he wants to prepare a place for you to be with him eternally. I go back to it again and again every week. Second Peter, one of my favorite verses. God is not willing that any shall perish, but that all those will come to repentance and eternal life. That's the longing of God's heart for you. Worship team, you guys can come on up. I heard a story this week that connects so well. I don't know if it's a true story, but I loved it. It's a story of an old missionary named Samuel Morrison, who after 25 years on the mission field in Africa, was returning to the United States for the first time in a couple decades. And as it so happened, as he traveled home, he was on the same ocean liner that brought President Teddy Roosevelt back from a hunting expedition in Africa. And when the great ship pulled into the New York Harbor, the dock where it was going to tie up was jammed. It looked like the entire population of New York City was there. Bands were playing, banners were waving, choirs of children were singing, multicolored balloons were floating in the air, flashbulbs were popping, and newsreel cameras were poised to record the return of President Roosevelt. So President Roosevelt steps down the gangplank to thunderous cheers and applause, showered with confetti and ticker tape. If the crowd had not been restrained by ropes and police, he would have been mobbed. And at the same time, Samuel Morrison is getting off the boat after 25 years in Africa, serving the Lord. He quietly walks off the boat. Nobody to greet him. He slips alone through the crowd, and because of the crush of people that were welcoming the president, he couldn't even find a cab. And inside his heart, he began to complain. Lord, the president has been in Africa for three weeks killing animals. And the whole world turns out to welcome him home. I've been 25 years, I've given 25 years of my life to the people of Africa serving you, and no one has greeted me or even knows that I'm here. And in the quietness of his heart, a gentle, loving voice whispered, But my dear child, you are not home yet. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that this is not our home. There is something far greater that is prepared for us who love you. And God, I struggle to even wrap my brain around it. It's so good. But would you help us to understand how much you love us as much as we can. And help us to spend our lives, this, this tiny little hundred years that we have here, would you help us long for eternity in that space? In Jesus' name, amen.